Well, that's a great question, isn't it? We're going to spend the rest of the week kind of talking about that, engaging in the scriptures. For some of you, the Bible's a new thing, and, and uh, maybe, maybe you never even have, have opened the book before. I just encourage you, as we encouraged you last night, to do so, to open the text, to look at it, because we're going to try to understand who God is based on uh, how he has revealed himself in the scriptures. For others, this may be more familiar for you. You've been up here a lot, but I pray that regardless whether you're new or whether you're a veteran, that this is an opportunity for us to really ask and answer some hard, hard questions. Uh, we haven't had the privilege to meet yet. My name is Brad Bell. I get the privilege of hanging out with you. Really humbled uh, to be able to handle God's word uh, with you here together. My wife of 24 years is in the back. Her name is Jen. She's fantastic. So, babe, wave, will you? Sorry, balcony, you can't see awesome, but there, that's awesome right there. Um, and we're going to be hanging out sometimes over at the uh, Pondy Deck, getting coffee. Ladies, if you want to get some time with her, she's fantastic. Uh, I'm a proud father of two daughters. My oldest uh, is over at Meadow right now serving with middle schoolers. She's a sophomore at California Baptist. My youngest happens to be here in the room right now, Kendall. Love you. So love my daughter. Very, very thankful. Uh, I grew up, by the way, with just my dad. Mom kind of was gone, so I prayed for boys simply because I understood that life, and then God, by his grace, gave me two daughters, so I've learned a lot about uh, what it means to just be a dad of girls and process life uh, a little differently. I'm a lead pastor uh, of a church called The Well. You've, you've heard our crew here. Yeah, I'm, I'm thank, really thankful for our church. One of the highlights of my life is, is pastoring The Well. I really love our community, love what God's doing in our great city. I pastor in Fresno which is the best kept secret in California. I love my city. It's my mission field. Delighted to be there. Went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and college there. It is my hood, and I'm proud of my city. And, and I share that simply to, to give you a little bit, little bit of backstory. As a lead pastor, I spend time up here at Hume speaking to students and sometimes even with our student ministry, but I spend most of my time trying to talk to your parents which means I'm trying to, to teach at a level that challenges us to think differently. Now, what I've heard sometimes is by people that go, oh, you're a lead pastor. You don't know how to communicate to students. I'm like, well, they're not idiots. You guys sit in class throughout the school year every day. You're listening to lectures. You're challenging yourself. You're putting thoughts to papers. And so my two cents is this. I want to I wanna try to raise our, our bar a little bit and challenge you to think because I think you're able to. And in that, if there's anything I say that you're like, I'm not sure what that means, write it down and talk to your counselor about it. Your counselor is going to be chatting to me about it too, and we can make, make sure that we're on the same page together. But what I don't want to do is tell a couple of stupid stories, have a bunch of illustrations, and not feed you any Bible. And so I really want to challenge you a little bit in that regard. The theme for this year is truth be told, as you saw last night, John 18, 37 and 38, Jesus before a man named Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman official, he asked Jesus, he said, so you were the king, and Jesus says, uh, you say correctly that I am a king, for this uh, is why I have been born, I have come into this world to testify of the truth, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, and Pilate said, what is truth? That's what we're going to be wrestling with a little bit, exploring this concept uh, of truth, and I was really, uh, really encouraged by last night's opener, different. Uh, if you've been to Hume before, and yet really, really good. And I found myself, and I don't know if you were feeling this way too, but I was sitting in the back, and they were, they were talking about their truth. 
and their truth and the beauty of their truth and the individual nature of their truth. And I'm like, hey, that's not right. You know, like, wait a second. And then they rewound to the garden, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to the original sin, to the most, one of the most impactful verses in all of your Bible, which is Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where Eve in that moment, instead of listening to the clear command of God, sees that the tree is good for food, that it's desirable to the eyes, and that it may make her wise. And in that moment, she shifts from obedient to God's wo- obedience to God's word to rationale, to, to what she thinks is right. And she disregards God, and for the first time in the human experience, she does life apart from God. We're going to talk a lot about that, because in that moment, she thought she would be like God, knowing good and evil, and what she did is plunged humanity into this thing called sin that we all are sort of experiencing the outgrowth of even in our lives today. And I just thought that was such a great way to do that. And I was thinking about it. When you talk about this concept of subjective truth, I mean, if I'm talking to your parents, we have to unpack this a little bit because they have no idea what's happening on TikTok. They have no idea what's happening on Instagram per se. They're still on Facebook, all right? So we we have to explain to them what's happening, but, but you get this. I mean, how many of you have been in a situation where you've got friends of yours that are talking about their truth. And and these may even be Christians, professing Christians who are living their truth. But you're looking at their truth and the word of God, and you're like, dude, those are not even close together. Like, how, how do you say you're a Christian and yet live that way? There's a disconnect. How many of you have found yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you and you said something like, oh, the Bible says, whatever, right? The Bible says that God created us male and female, and all of a sudden you're canceled. Because your expression of truth denies other people's right to even exist, right? I mean, that's the world we're living in, and, and you, you understand that. But I was asking the question a little bit, okay, if, if that is an outgrowth of Genesis 3, what was more, more of the, like, modern take? How did we get there? Like, how did we get to the point where it's like, well, you get to have your truth, and I get to have my truth, and there's your lived experience and my lived experience, and, and now all of a sudden we're creating our own little, like, I don't know, collection of truth that, that may not be the same. And, and interestingly enough, it's, it's from a dude in the 60s. His name was Jacques Derrida. And what Jacques Derrida began to, to put words to was a, uh, a term called deconstruction. You may have heard that. There's a lot of notable people of faith that are deconstructing their faith. Lots of people deconstructing. And, and here's what he said. Because I think as, as I walk through this, I just want you to sort of ask and answer, do you see this in your world? whether it's hanging out with your friends or at school or, or online or whatever. Here's what Derrida said. Derrida said, uh, through the years uh, of evolution, uh, humans have developed the capacity to construct thoughts, and therefore um, these, these truths that they are thinking of are found in the individual, meaning truth is found in you, which means not in God. So Derrida started there. He says the truth is what you think, your rationale, your brilliance, your wisdom, not in God. He then said, and so language communicates truth based on the individual. Therefore, truth is not universal, but it's actually personal, shaped by personal experience, one's context, one's own personal story, one's own personal experience, etc., which is where you get your truth, your truth, your truth. Well, he goes on to say, therefore, anyone, and this is where I think it's applicable for us, anyone seeking to explore ancient texts like the Bible, uh, to find some like universal set of truth, uh, they do so in vain, he said, and here's why. 
He said, since um, they have no way of knowing the intricate details of the individual who wrote the Bible, like the various authors, because you didn't hang out with them, you didn't know them, you therefore didn't really understand their truth. And so therefore, the, the text of the Bible, for example, uh, is written by human authors, and therefore, because you weren't familiar with them, you have no way of really accessing what they really meant. And so therefore, the truth of the scripture now is distant to the reader because we are so distant from the author, and therefore it rejects the idea of inspiration, of one plumb line of God's truth, etc. And then finally, that those who follow this train of thought, what you end up having to do is either one, disregarding all the ancient text, and you've probably heard this, the Bible's so old, it's written by a bunch of old people, like how, I mean, it's 2022, I mean, come on, certainly we don't have to hold to an ancient book. So you either disregard the entire thing, which is very, very common and popular today, maybe even with you, or you end up dealing with the Bible like you deal with the Chipotle line. <laughs> right? So you get in line. You go, what do you want? You're like, nah, I'll take a bowl. And uh, no, I don't want any beans, but I'll take some veggies. I don't want the spicy salsa. That, that hurts me later, but I'll take the mild. Yes, I want guac. I know it's extra. And you're just kind of picking and choosing what you like based on your preference. And a lot of people approach the Bible like that. They're like, okay, but these parts, I like these parts. Those parts, I don't like those parts. And the problem with that, of course, is that makes you Lord of the encounter. That makes you the one in charge. And I just want to tell you one of the most important truths that we're going to wrestle with starting here this morning uh, is you're actually not in charge. You're actually not the authority. And yet that's not devaluing or demeaning to you at all. In fact, what I'm going to show you is it's actually incredibly valuing and incredibly helpful for us. Now, a little personal backstory regarding uh, me and my faith. Uh, I uh, did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I came to faith actually later in college. Would have probably told you in high school I was atheist. I didn't, I didn't think God existed, or maybe better said agnostic. If he did exist, I just didn't think he was interested. I didn't think he cared. I didn't think he was involved. Like, I thought Christianity was kind of a, an interesting religious crutch for weak people who needed a philosophy of life to help them sort of survive. I just didn't need it. I poured my life into athletics. As you can probably gather, I'm a relatively large dude. And so I learned early on, if you get in a fight at lunch, you get suspension. If you get in a fight on the football field, you get a trophy. So I just collected trophies. Um, I was a two-sport MVP in my high school down in Clovis, was an athlete of the year, got a Division I football scholarship a long time ago, was an MVP of my football team. Now, I share that with you because you would assume that sounds like you're pretty, I mean, that's good. That's good. Like, that's a good thing that probably brought you a lot of joy. Candidly, I was miserable, and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out because on the outside, I had what most people would call success. Had a, had a beautiful girlfriend, had a, had a successful career, was getting an education. They were paying for it. I'm like, this is legit. And yet I was miserable. And what I realized is, at least in my life at that time, and maybe you can relate, there was a hole in my heart that I was trying to fill with drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality. I was trying to fill with success and accolades and trophies, and none of it satisfied and I was so confused because everything the world told me is if you'll be successful in these things, you'll actually be satisfied. And I was not. And I was very frustrated with that. And it was at that time that a dear friend of mine said, have you ever read the Bible? I'm like, ah, oh, here it goes. You know, I don't, I don't want to read the Bible. 
And he goes, well, if you've never read it, why don't you start with the Gospel of John and let's talk about it. Now, we're going to spend most of our time in the Gospel of John here together as well. And I remember reading through the Gospel of John. I am far from God. I'm probably hungover. Shoot, I might be drunk reading the Bible. And as I'm reading through it, I came to John 14, verse 6, a really fascinating passage. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then it said this, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And I had a very interesting conversation with myself. I don't know if you talk to yourself. I do it all the time. And I'm talking to myself a little bit. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty exclusionary. Do, do you know him? And I knew about Jesus, but I did not know Jesus. And thankfully, there were some dear friends that had put on an event where they were going to share the gospel with uh, college students. And by the way, nothing changes. How many of you have been invited to a Christian bait and switch? Where in high school, they said, come for the free pizza. And then they had somebody share the gospel. Nothing's changed. In college, it's the same thing. And, and there's poor and then college poor. So they invited me to a free meal. And so I went and I heard the gospel. And I heard someone talk about the love of God, a God who created me and shaped me. And because of my family of origin trauma, uh, I was very skeptical of any sense of enduring love and talked about how God, through Christ, wanted to have a relationship with me. And I ended up trusting Christ and uh, began walking with him. And I, I've become convinced over the years now that I've walked with the Lord, that God is indeed truth, that his word is indeed truth, and that Jesus is the embodiment of this truth. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, the book of John, let's start just sort of at the beginning, John, the title. Um, John is a fascinating character. Just a little bit of backstory on this cat. He was a disciple, one of the 12 who walked with Jesus, but actually had kind of a unique position among the 12. Uh, in the 12, uh, there was three that were kind of really close to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Uh, and, and out of those three, there was one who refers to himself in the book, almost in, in, in humility. Uh, John refers to himself in the gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loved. That's a fascinating title for himself. It just meant he and Jesus were tight. They had a great relationship. Out of all of the 12, John was the fave. John's gospel, though, was written like 30 years after the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels, which means they're almost synonyms together. If you've ever read Matthew, like you got real motivated, they're coming to read the Bible, and you read Matthew, you're like, all right, now I'm going to the next book, Mark. You're like, wait, I feel like I've seen that before. And then you read Luke, you're like, dude, am I like seeing things? Because I saw the same stories now a third time. They're very, very similar in content. John is different. Matthew talks about Jesus being the king, Mark, that Jesus was a servant, Luke, that Jesus was man, John, that Jesus was God. So John is going to speak in a different language. We'll get into verses 1 through 3 here in just a little bit. Uh, but it's just a different kind of gospel. And what John's trying to help us understand is how to do life with God. Like, what does life with God look like? How do we enjoy that and experience that? Now, there are two primary theories about how to do life. Just like gross overgeneralization. One is called a humanistic view of life. And what that simply means is you're in charge. That you evolved, that you are the product of genetic mutation, natural selection, survival of the fittest, and that somehow from some primordial ooze and a big bang and an amoeba and then some transitional form, here you are. Now the problem with that view is you can imagine, so it feels very cold, it just means you're kind of like an, you're a product of accidents. You were an accident at birth. You're an accident now. If you got good genetics, you're, I don't know, smarter. You can sing. You can dance. I don't know. If you didn't, 
then you're like me, you got nothing. I mean, it's just, it's a very cold view of life. And it assumes, by the way, that there is no divine, nothing bigger than us. And so therefore, the humanistic worldview, as you can imagine, has a lot of subjective truth associated to it because there's no source text. It's just like you and your family. But there's another view, and that's what we want to talk about here this week, is a theistic view. And this is the idea that there's something bigger than us. And in fact, there's a creator who created the world and by his grace spoke it into existence and that you are not an accident, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Scripture tells us that you are image bearers of God, that he knew you in your mother's womb. There's a value that comes from that. We have shared worth, shared value, shared dignity, male, female, regardless of ethnicity, because we're all created in our diversity in the image of God. It's a beautiful way of looking at life. The problem with the view is that it means God's in control. And I don't know about you, I have a problem with control. I like being in control. Welcome to one of the residues, the flesh residues of sin, is we like being in control. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the beauty of our God and that God is the ultimate source of truth. Thankfully, uh, you don't have to um, take drugs and meditate to find God. You don't have to go on some vision quest in the Andes to find God. Uh, you, you can rest assured that your God who created the world, the God that is in and represented in our Bible, uh, our God has revealed himself. I want to show you just a couple of ways God has, has revealed himself to us. One is in creation. My wife and I were standing yesterday enjoying the view. A couple of you students walked over, took some pics of the lake, and I just thought that, that's the beauty of what's called natural revelation. God has revealed himself in creation. He, he shows himself. In fact, Psalm 19 says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and, the, uh, and in their expanse, they're declaring the work of his hands. Day by day pours forth speech, and night by night reveals knowledge. Romans 1 puts it this way. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made which means when you look at the beauty of creation, even the uniqueness of the human form, you realize that there is such a design to this world and to us that it just begs for a designer. You're not an accident. You are not um, in previous generations some chimpanzee. No, you're actually in the image of God. And so there is a creator who's revealed himself in creation. Second, God's revealed himself in his works, the things he's done. When you read through, especially throughout the Old Testament, you hear all these incredible miracles of God parting the Red Sea and leading the people out of Egypt and providing for them water to drink and food to eat and all of these stories of the works of God. Jesus even referred to that in John 14 when he says, believe, uh, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Even Jesus is like, look, if you don't believe what I'm saying, just look at what God has done. So he's revealed himself in his works. Third, he's revealed himself in the scriptures. And we're going to talk a lot about the scriptures. And in fact, tonight, I want to talk about how we got our Bible. We're going to geek out just a little bit uh, to understand exactly how we ended up with our English text. Is it authoritative? Is it um, inspired by God, etc.? We'll get into that later. But what do we know about the Bible? It does claim exactly that, to be divinely inspired. Uh, it says, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The Bible says of itself that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
which simply means that the human authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, not like possessed by the Holy Spirit, just inspired to write. And so that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for example, have similar content, but it feels very different. For example, the, the gospel of Mark, he uses the word immediately like 40 times. Why? Because it's like he's in a hurry. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Okay, it's just like the, the summary version where Luke, who's a physician, gives you more detail on the crucifixion than any other gospel writer. So men, influenced by the Holy Spirit, wrote from God. What do we know then about our Bible? That the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart on and on and on. And then from there, not only has God revealed himself in uh, creation and in the works and in scripture, uh, but ultimately in Jesus. It's worth noting in John chapter 5. You know, it's easy, by the way, to worship our Bibles. Oh, the Bible, it's the Holy Bible. Yes, but in some ways, no. And what I mean by that is this. The, the Bible is not the ultimate end. In John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day who were like obsessed with the Old Testament portion of their Bible. And he said, look, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to find eternal life. But it's them that speak of me. See, the beauty of your Bible is from Genesis to Revelation, and I would even argue from eternity past to eternity future, the theme or the hero of the Bible is Jesus. One author put it this way, that every biblical story whispers his name. So I'm not as interested in finding out what the theme of the Bible is. I'm interested in finding out whom the theme of the Bible is, and that is Jesus. We're going to talk a lot, as you can imagine, about him. Now, some of you are saying, wait a second, wait a second. In the New Testament, that's it's what starts with the Christmas story. The Old Testament's all this like stuff that happened centuries previous. How are you telling me that Jesus is the hero of that story? Because you've probably read Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which he did. But one of the interesting things about this creation narrative, listen to the words of Colossians chapter 1. It says, for by Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is the head of all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. We have a little bit of a problem there, don't we? Because Genesis 1 said God created, Genesis 2 said Jesus created, so either the Bible contradicts itself or Jesus is God. Look at your Bible now in John chapter 1. I want to look at one through three, and then we'll look to wrap things up here in just a moment. John chapter one, one through three. By the way, remember I said John uses some different language, okay? John's, gonna, John's writing to a different audience, audience influenced by other kind of teaching than the first three gospels were. John's going to use a word, well, a word called word. It's the word logos. You're going to see it multiple times in this passage. We're going to, we're going to read. And the word logos means in some ways the encapsulation of all that is God. Okay, so John starts his gospel. And I can remember reading this as a non-believer. And I'm like, dude, read the gospel of John. I'm lost by verse 3. I have no idea what he's talking about here. But, but let's walk through it. John starts his gospel. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. This, this concept of the logos, or the word, is the encapsulment of all that is God, and it's speaking here of Jesus, right? So in the beginning, you could say, was Jesus, 
Uh, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. John is showing you what that other Colossians passage showed you, which means this. Jesus is preexistent, as God is preexistent, because Jesus is God. Some of you have been around the church. You've heard the concept of our triune God, or God being Trinity, one God in three persons. Everything you'll read in the Bible, difficult as it is to explain, comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep, and yet what we see here is Jesus is the agent of creation, from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And so you've got now Jesus now being in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jump down just for a second to verse 14. Verse 14, John will then say, and this word, this Jesus, did what? He became flesh. He became flesh. Philippians 2 is going to say that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Deity clothed himself in humanity. And Jesus now became flesh and lived among us. And he says that we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and, what's it say, bottom of verse 14? Truth. Full of grace and truth. So here's what we know so far about our God, right? Our God, being preexistent and creator, spoke the world into existence and by his grace revealed himself in creation, in his works, in his scriptures, and ultimately in Jesus. He did so to manifest that he is grace and truth. That Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all that is true because he is the perfect embodiment of all that is God. Because God is true and Jesus is God, Jesus is true. And so that is critical because when we're talking about Jesus, we're not talking about a religious philosophy. He is not just a teacher. And we're going to ask and answer the question, who is Jesus in your life? Because so many biblical characters are answering that question differently and, interestingly enough, incorrectly. And that's okay. I'm thankful they asked it because you probably are too. And so we've got our God who is true, our God who reveals himself as true, who incarnates into Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. And then again, back to chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. I remember reading that just thinking that is so arrogant. Like, who do you think you are? I didn't know who Jesus was. Who do you think you are to say you are the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through you until you realize Jesus is actually God. And because of that, he's the perfect embodiment of all that is true. So let me close just by asking you a couple of questions, and then we'll, we'll be done. This week, we're going to explore truth. And I, I just want to acknowledge, I know for some of you, this is going to be a really interesting journey. And Sarah kind of poked fun at it last night. She's exactly right. Some of you are like, dude, I just came for the Kajabi or the whatever, right? And yet, we want to ask you to consider some really important things in your life, right? What does it mean that God is truth, the Bible is truth, Jesus is truth, etc.? cetera? And, um, and we want you to just sort of, are you willing to open to that? Um, look, we're not trying to talk you in anything, okay? We're not sacrificing any chickens. Nothing's getting weird. Nobody's drinking any cultic punch. We just want you to understand what the Bible says, because many of us, myself, you know, on that list, believe that the Bible actually is our rule of life. 
and that God, by his grace, has created us in his image and then given us the Bible that we would know how we're supposed to live under God. And if that's a new thing for you, we just want to invite you into that. And would you be open to that and just considering it? I remember as I read the Gospel of John as a non-believer, I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. And here's what I found out. This Jesus, the red letter Jesus that I saw in my New Testament, I kind of like that guy. Because he really, really showed love for shady people, and I, that was me. And, and he seemed to have a disdain for overly religious people. And I was like, I don't like them either. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> and, I, and I came to understand um, who Jesus was as the Savior of the world. And so would you be willing to open your heart to that? And in that, would you be willing to ask the questions, to just talk about it? And uh, some questions, by the way, um, I can't answer. Some questions your counselors can't answer, but we'll do our best to answer what we can. Where the Bible speaks, we'll share with you what the Bible speaks. If it's outside of what the Bible says, then I'm not sure I'm the authority to, to answer the question, but we'll do the best we can and maybe in that process together uh, what it means for us to live as people in 2022 in our progressive pluralistic culture to live as those who follow the truth. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for this series, this this theme this year as we process who you are as the God of all truth, who's revealed himself in truth, who's incarnated in truth. And Lord, I, I get that we live in a world that's quick to cancel, quick to call people bigots, quick to talk about intolerance or to want to promote acceptance. And Lord, we, we want, Father, to be those who are full of love and full of grace. And yet we also know that your word calls us to hold to truth. And so, Lord, for our friends that are here who have yet to trust in Jesus Christ, maybe like me some years ago, may their hearts be strangely stirred at the idea that nothing in this world will satisfy but the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.